We've had a lot of guests on this podcast, and we've often asked them the same kinds of questions. Today, my guests learned from some of the podcasts we've done in the past on No Film School, and that's part of how they got their movie made. I'm George Edelman, editor-in-chief at No Film School and host of the No Film School podcast, and my guests today, Chris Kalari and Jennifer Raitt, are writers. They've been TV writers. They've had development deals. They've been in town for a while. We even have some mutual friends, which we didn't know before we started this interview. But the funny part is they got their movie, The Aviary, made. They got their cast secured. They found a way to do it in a very short period of time. It's a very strong, no film school kind of story, how they put this whole thing together. But one of my personal favorite parts, because, you know, it's about me, is that they listened to some of our prior interviews and it gave them a little insight into how to work with their lead actor, Malin Ackerman, who we had on the show before. We'll post a link to that episode where we talked to her about what do you look for in a script? What do you look for in people you want to work with? Which just goes to show you there's always an opportunity to learn something on this podcast that might help you get a movie made. You never know. So here's the interview. There's a lot more good stuff in it and maybe it'll help you make a movie. One day, you never know. So, thank you both for being here. This is very exciting because, well, we have a mutual connection, actually. A guy named Max Perry. Yes. <laughs> yes. Which I, I didn't realize until, I don't know how it came up. I think I mentioned to him that we were going to be chatting. and then, Yeah, so that's funny on its own. But before we get into all that, tell me a little bit about, I know a little bit about the story here, but tell me about how quickly you made this movie. <laughs> tell me about how it started from start to finish and, the, and, and how it got, how you got there, like a bullet train. Yeah, it was, it was a really wild experience. In October of 2020, we got a call from our favorite producer, Jessica Rhodes, who had uh, been championing and continues to champion our writing and our career. And uh, she knew that we wanted to direct a feature, and she knew that we had been working on on some ideas, including the aviary, which made sense to her as a potential shoot during COVID. And she had a window that she thought we could make if we had the script ready in December. So we had to try to put together parts of the script that weren't finished to get the whole thing written, ready to go, and potentially shoot in New Mexico in December, which then COVID spiked and made not happen. So we did get oh, a little wait, bit like, of breathing room. The very <laughs> the very smart like producer thought there was, hey, what if we shoot over the holiday break and we can pull crews, pull crew out of other shows that they're like already being tested. So we could have this very like streamlined COVID piece. And then hmm. pop right, like, yeah. So originally we were only going to have like 10 days in New Mexico, something like that, which luckily, yeah. I mean, not the COVID spike. How many total, lucky, but how many total shoot days? Like 10 days in New Mexico, but that wasn't all the shoot days, was it? No, well, that was, that was what it was going to be. And then when yeah. we moved to LA, we, we got, we, we got even more breathing room. We got 14 total shoot days once we moved to Los Angeles. So we made the movie in 14 days in Los Angeles with one day after the fact with some drone shooting because our drone day got canceled because of high yeah, winds. Our, our, yeah, our drone day got winded out 
I mean, if you if you want to be super tight, yeah, it was 14 days. One of those days was a half day. So 13 and a half more for, for nights and how many like pages of fires. I mean, it varied, but like our biggest day was almost 11 page day. Wow. Yeah. Um, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that's that was, an AD's nightmare. <laughs> yeah. It, yes. it was, that's amazing. It was our AD's nightmare. And it was, but one of the things that was really interesting about shooting in the desert with natural light was that everybody from the cast to ourselves to the producers, you know, down through our, our grips and electrics was very aware of the fact that, you know, we were racing the sun all day, every day. And in a way, our AD, she had a very difficult job. She was incredible, but she also had the backup of the sun. <laughs> To be like, mm. guys, you know, the sun is, you know, in another couple minutes, the shadows are going to have moved too much for this to ever cut together. And so, you know, we really had to all kind of obey the movements of the sky to make things work day in and day out, because otherwise the light and the shadows in, in the scenes would be inconsistent. So we really had a gun to our heads every day, just from the natural circumstances of shooting. Yeah, an immovable power, essentially. Mm-hmm. Tell me about getting this cast together under and and working with a cast under those circumstances. One that it, that it features such experienced talent, you know, not people who are used to all kinds of schedules and all kinds of shooting circumstances. But you know, Malin Ackerman, among others, like how did you get them on board? Yeah, I mean, having people who were down for the size and location of our movie was super important. And Malin was someone that we had liked for the role from the very beginning. Like as we were doing our rewrites and talking about who we wanted to go out to first, she was kind of our, she was like our dream Jillian. Like she was our first and only offer. Uh, and our cinematographer had actually worked with her before and on not as small of a movie, but a small movie. And he had loved her. And we got super lucky that she, it took, it took her almost, well, it took her reps almost a month to get back to us. And we thought, oh, this is over. Like we should start talking about who we want to go to next. And just as we were like, who, who is that going to be? We got a call from her people being like, mom loves it. She wants to set a meeting. Yeah, and <laughs> something before we even get to Max, something that's fun is preparing for that meeting. I listened to the No Film School episode with Mullen. <laughs> um, that's awesome. Yeah, I did. I, I mean, I listened to probably like three or four different podcasts just to like feel out what her vibe was like because I was because we were super nervous because we didn't think yeah. we were going to get that meeting and I wanted to like feel out what she was going to be like. So thank you for that. That was very helpful. <laughs> that's amazing. I, well, that's, I was going to say, you know, she was on this podcast and I talked to her specifically. I was like, Hey, how do filmmakers who are looking to get, you know, someone like you involved? Cause she talks about how she was, that was a project she produced, but it was like, when you're reading scripts or like, what are you looking for? Or like, what are you hoping to connect with? Or like, how do you, how do people come to you? Because that's, so I'm just so glad that that worked. Yeah. Yeah, no, <laughs> I'm so yeah. glad that somebody found a way to take advantage of that. And for everybody listening now, that's the, you know, this will go forward to you. Like utilize yeah. whatever comes from Chris and Jen here. Boy, did my ears perk up when you were asking exactly the questions I needed. <laughs> yeah. 
She, I mean, part of, I think she responded to uh, in the script, like she responded to the writing. I think she responded to the fact that it was a role where she was going to be in every scene. And I think she was really going to get to stretch her dramatic chops. And as we got to know her, she likes doing adventurous stuff. She likes being outside. She liked the challenge of, we're going to go out to the desert and go make this movie. And it's not going to be super comfortable and it's not going to be you know going back to a swanky hotel every night although we shot close enough to LA she got to go home so I guess that was fine but she liked the the challenge of it all and she was game for for really doing anything and she was such a great creative partner both from from an acting standpoint but from a producing standpoint as well of just taking the role of the producer really seriously always thinking about how the day was coming together and anything she could do to help move things along or make things go faster or be, be an asset in, in ways besides always being prepared all like, you know, never needing to ask for a line being on time every day. Like she was, she was incredible. She was, she was really, really great. And it's so important. You can't necessarily know that going in when you reach out to somebody like a name who's going to help you make things happen, but you have no way of knowing necessarily that they're going to be so game not just for the challenge but to help you push through with tight schedules and things like that that's that's huge as opposed to being frustrated by it there's plenty of frustrations to go around right yeah well they were (laughs) she and lorenzo were both also very understanding like one of the, the things we ran into in shooting it was you know we're in the desert and so it's it's freezing cold at night and getting very hot during the day and during the springtime when we were shooting it last year, it would also sometimes get very cold all of a sudden during the day. There'd be wind and, and, and um, the temperature would drop. And so we really started having a little bit of trouble trying to figure out how to keep everybody comfortable and keep our costuming as consistent as possible. Because we'd written it to be a desert movie in the winter. So we'd written it with coats and jackets and lots of covering and layers. Then by the time we were shooting it in the spring, we'd rewritten it to have less coats. But then, you know, there'd well, be right, a scene there were, where... There were a few choices that we'd made towards the beginning of production of like, hey, it's like, it's cold or hot right now. We're setting these looks for these scenes. We can decide. Like, we were, we could be like, okay, like, it's it doesn't super matter to story. If it doesn't matter to story in this moment, we can go coats on or no coats and then just make sure that piece is consistent. But then there were other scenes where it was very important what the costuming was. And by the third week, we had, you know, Mullen very smartly at at the end of our second week was looking at the schedule and was like, huh, so Monday we have to do this stuff where I'm in my underwear and it's going to be the coldest night that week. And Thursday, our last day, I have to climb up this mountain and wear my coat and that's supposed to be the hottest day so like is there any chance we could maybe move these and like to her credit she was like if you can't like don't worry about it and we tried because because she is so amazing we tried so hard like tina our ad and our producers were like how do we move this stuff around and we couldn't do it and i remember feeling so bad having to tell her so you know when you very like nicely asked us about this and we really wanted to accommodate you, we can't. And then she, you know, she did it. And she she had I just I'd forgotten about this. She had told us, because the night when when she had to be in her underwear and it was so cold, 
like I feel like we were chattering like in our you know coats and stuff and you couldn't tell that she looked cold and she was like yeah I just I did this like ice bath thing once and I just like learned how to not do that so I was yeah like, she didn't I don't even think she somehow didn't even get goosebumps in the scene I don't think I was like I don't understand where you've gone <laughs> but like you're fully wow. controlling your body it was it was, it was wild. very it was very cool yeah that is just such a unique circumstance to be able to like take a request and be like oh, I'm sorry to your star yeah <laughs> and then yeah. have them be like that's no, okay I'll roll with it it just makes it possible tell me about getting like getting the writing done, like I want to go back in time a little bit to like writing the script, trying to get it done in in a time that made sense for you to then get into production, knowing the limitations you have, writing to try and make it shootable. Like these are things I think everybody can learn from. Like you're trying to put a script together. I know the feeling personally, like, and also thinking about like what's achievable and and how that impacts you creatively. Yeah, well, it was it was a couple a couple of things really came together on this movie for us. I think, you know, we, we'd had the idea for a while of, you know, doing something that examined cults and that it was sort of a, a you know, an, an escape from a cult movie an on the run movie. And I think we may have even mentioned to Jess at some point, the idea of, of, of a, of a desert set film. So I think when she saw this opportunity, in New Mexico with the locations that she was going to have access to. I think that really, she kind of put two and two together there and was already using her producer brain of like, Oh, this all makes sense. Like the location works, the outdoors and the safety for COVID work and all that. And, and so, and by the time she'd reached out to us, we had, we'd been watching like bug and honeymoon and a bunch of kind of two hander one location kind of movies and really thinking about it. So uh, when when it came time to really hit the gas, you know, we were able to to pull on all these things and all the passions that we had in the ideas that we've been talking about for the movie to get it going. But then when it came to really writing it, I mean, Jen and I just have a an almost psychic connection sometimes that helps helps us go quickly. Like we were really able to just kind of lay the track of the one the one rule we followed was to keep it. Uh, interesting and to make sure that we were building a structure that would be uh, compelling. You know, in, in a horror movie, you usually have like a kill every 10 minutes or something because that's what people are coming for. They want it, the body count needs to happen. We didn't have a body count here, but we did decide that every 10 pages or so, we would have a new piece of information that changed the context of the situation mm. or we present a new mystery every every 10 minutes or so. And I think that was really the the piece of the the structure that kind of cracked it open for us and helped us move the fastest once we were able to look at that and go, okay, you know, let's figure out these nine or 10 turns in the story. And with developing this script too, we had such a lean team on it. Like it was the two of us, Jessica, and then her producing partner on the project, Andrew Miller, who is also a a writer and a great writer himself. So we were able to, with each draft, it was really just the four of us looking at it. And that made everything work so so much better. Like, I think it's the only time we've ever had such an efficient process of each draft Hmm. just got better, which, you know, 
oftentimes in a bigger development circumstance, it's not that it's like necessarily getting worse, but everyone has slightly different interests. You take steps backwards and then forwards. Yeah, or parallel. It's just like you have so many different groups, like the studio and the network and you and the producer all want it to be slightly different things. Whereas with this, we felt like very aligned. And when there were when there were things, we were able to talk about them very honestly and without ego. And it didn't, you know, it didn't just like create issues and scripts in a situation that has like so much, so many more like politics around it or scale. Did you, did you guys all have a budget you were writing towards? Like, this is what it's going to be. We can't go above. Uh, yeah, have a sense roughly. I mean, I think as we were, I mean, in the, in the very initial phases, we were trying to not think about money too much, but also we've, we've written so many things to size that it's, it's sort of natural too you just like have that part of your brain that's like ooh, i don't know about this that look that sounds expensive yeah i mean we knew it was going to be we didn't i don't know we didn't really have like a number until after Mollen came on so at first it was but we knew that the, the whole idea that jess was presenting us with was hey guys like you know i i know you guys really want to make your first movie i really want to produce your first movie you know the the parameters are going to be that we're going to do this you know, in a fairly lean way. And so, you know, Jed and I were focused on, I think lean. when we were writing, <laughs> we were focused on what we could do dramatically that would spiral the story inwards and focus on these two women. And, you know, one of the things we wanted to challenge ourselves with as writers and directors was a true character study where, you know, everything is really coming uh, from the conflict between these two women. And, I think something that was really exciting about the aviary as our first movie for us was even though there were these parameters on, on the scale of what we could do, we tried to look at those as benefits in the sense of it narrowed our focus. So, so each piece we can really give all of our attention to like the costuming, the locations, the two, the, the four cast members, the four performances, we weren't being pulled in a million directions. Like, okay, well, this scene in our 14-day indie movie, we need to somehow stage a car chase. Okay, how are we going <laughs> right. to do it? You know, it was just like, here are the, the small number of pieces, and how do we make each of those pieces the best, the absolute best they can be? And I think Jess and Andrew were really good about focusing us on that as well and reminding us, like, you know, let's really really make sure that you're getting the best out of everything and not overreaching in a way where you're going to look at the results and go, Oh man, like we just pushed ourselves too hard on, on these pieces. Yeah, no, that, I mean, that makes total sense. I'm also curious, you know, you've developed a dynamic as a writing duo and you had to develop a dynamic as a directing duo. How did the one transition to the other? What began your partnership as a creative team? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think, I think we sort of do it all by experimentation. So when we when we first decided to try writing together, Chris was working on this script that I really liked the ideas of. We were, it was just something that we liked to talk about a lot, and like I would I would read and like give him notes. And at some point, Chris was like, "Do you want to just try writing this together?" And we tried it, and it <laughs> it went really well. And then that just became a thing, and we we continued writing together. And then like early in our career, Chris was still directing like music videos that I would help 
produce. And that we it sort of like snuck into that. There were a couple projects that like technically we didn't co-direct, but like we co-directed. Like the close yeah, like, the more we work together, the closer our our creative visions aligned until it just became a point where like, you know, we'd be talking about something after the fact and and neither of us could remember who had which idea or, you know, how something came about exactly. And it just it just became so clear that the bouncing off each other the of ideas and visions and worlds and stuff that we were creating was creating it was it was a, a fully shared thing at a certain point so it, it yeah it was something that just kind of it, it grew out of just having the same vision for stuff and if it wasn't the same vision having a, a really productive argument about what the vision should be which i think is where a lot of really great stuff comes from you know like uh, I tell people sometimes who are looking for writing partners, you know, don't, you got to find somebody that you can stand to be around a lot, but you shouldn't always have the same ideas about everything because then you don't necessarily, the, 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 then the partnership isn't bringing anything new to the table for either person. Like you both mm. should be contributing ideas sometimes that, you know, you don't want to be completely on opposite sides of the of the spectrum all the time, but, you know, you want times where, you're disagreeing because then it forces a discussion of which is the best idea and what's the thing that's going to bring the most to the story. So that that's a question I think I I believe that we could all do with more collaboration and I yeah. think that the the role of director is a little too siloed often as like someone who has to know all and think by themselves and take all the credit or take all the blame or whatever. Yeah. And I think that it's beautiful when people can collaborate there. Because I believe that a lot of ego has to be set aside, right? Can you talk about how you have an argument or disagreement, but set aside ego in favor of what's best? How do you learn that skill? Because a lot of people just don't have it. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it you just said, which is, you know, we're always servicing what's the best idea. And part of it comes from, all, you know, a lot of practice. Like we've been writing together since... 2009. So that and and learning a lot of it together, I think has really helped because we have a lot of like, shared philosophies. But once when you have, when you have trust in the relationship, and you have a shared vision, I think the part that's most helpful is you're talking through everything with someone else, which really helps avoid missing things like you're I feel like when you're when you're co-directing you're much less likely to come upon something of like oh no I never thought about this because you have two people coming to all of those questions and Mm. it's much less it's much less likely that you come across something too where there already hasn't been a discussion of oh what do we think about x y and z and at least having an initial back and forth on it because we and knowing that we're going to have to talk to all of our department heads and our actors and our producers, or, you know, in, in other cases, like a studio or a network, we feel like we need to have gone through a lot of this stuff in advance so that we can talk to other people with like some knowledge of our shared vision. Yeah. And, and in terms of stepping away from ego, I think some of it is just personality. I think Jen and I both just have personalities where 
you know, there's certainly times where our egos shine through, but we're both just naturally kind of very open to collaboration and, and very aware that sometimes there might be a, a better, a better idea out there in the ether that, that hasn't struck us yet. Uh, and I, for me personally, I think, and I recommend this, I study other filmmakers, interviews and special features and stuff, almost the way that like, uh, a sports team would watch like game footage because anytime I hear a director or a writer talk about, Oh my God, I, the only reason that this scene exists is because we couldn't shoot over this way. And so we had to shoot this way, which made me think, Oh, you know, maybe the guy comes down from here, but then my DP said, well, he can't come from there, but if he comes from under the building, then, Oh my God, yes. this whole new thing opens up. And I think when you really start to pay attention to how many moments um, and of course, I'm going to blank on on a good example right now. But how many moments in your favorite films came from something that the director hadn't necessarily seen coming or thought of a certain way, uh, but still resonated and still, you know, became something that. Absolutely. You know, we, we just the, wrote a story on this on this on No Film School. It's the headline was, did Steven Spielberg improv the end of Jurassic Park? Turns out he did. Just yeah. came to him, wanted to change it, like something like that, even. So I, I love your model or your uh, metaphor of studying like game tape. I think the that the study of movies that are already made and how they were made is such a rich breeding ground for innovations and creative insight that I, I just think people can't take enough advantage. There's just a wealth of knowledge and like yeah. experience. Yeah, it, there's a crazy. I'm always so confused when i when i hear people when i hear other filmmakers say like oh yeah like i don't i don't watch a lot of movies i'm like well there must have been a point where you did (laughs) but but yeah i think i think for us it's very helpful like i i think of direction as curation and there are there are certain things that like you know in your heart like it has to be this way and you're chasing those things but then sometimes you know, one of your collaborators will bring you something and it's, it's your job to look at it and be like, Hey, is this, is this better? Does this serve the story better? And then what other changes do I have to make if I go down that path with them? Yeah. You have to, you have to recognize the genius in other people. That's part of the job is recognizing the genius in other people and in other people's ideas and, and bringing that to, to the, to the fore. I'm curious to hear you guys answer this one. I, I don't always ask it. I used to ask it all the time to wrap up, but I think in your instance, it's really, it's a very interesting angle. What would you guys recommend to somebody who is trying to get started? You're a writing team and a directing team, and you found a way to get a first feature off the ground. But if somebody's like, I want to do this, I want to get a first movie made, like having a produ- a relationship with a producer who says, I want to make your first movie is amazing. Like, how do you get there? How do people find their way to where you guys are? Oof. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> the, I'm the, sorry to put yeah. you on the spot, but yeah. it, is the, it is the question that everybody always wants to know. The R way is tricky because we've been, we sold our very first project with Jessica. She was one of the very first people to take a chance on us. And I think I, the thing that we did there was that we, I think we liked her right away as much as she liked us. And then that was a relationship we built and we continued to develop taste and trust. And like we sold three television projects with her before 
we made this movie. So it was, you know, a seven, eight year relationship at that point. And established, hey, we've got something. We work well together. Yes. Yeah. How did you, you know, find her? How did she find you? How did you guys first connect? We, so at the time she had just started working at Blumhouse Television and we had a pitch. This is 20, sorry, this is 2014, just to yes. give time context. And we, we had a pitch and we were just talking to our, our managers like, hey, where do you think we should take this? And Blumhouse TV at the time was pretty small. I think they had, they had produced The River for ABC and there were maybe a handful of other things. And it just made sense to us because it was a, a horror adjacent project. So our 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 manager, Steve, who was also a producer on Aviary, like called her up and was like, hey, let's go to breakfast. And they met. And then we pitched Jess the show. And she was like, I I love this. She had she had some thoughts. We developed it with her and then we sold it to NBC. After a development process that was, I mean, that's a whole other podcast, uh, yeah. developing, your, <laughs> developing your first TV show when you have no yeah. idea what developing a TV show is. And, and uh, but we, 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 we got it to NBC and then we immediately turned around, worked on another Blumhouse TV project with Jess and did a, a, a deal with Blumhouse where we were sort of an in-house writing team. We had an office right. there for a while and worked on television and wrote a movie, you know, kind of, uh, we're, we're just there to, to help on whatever we could and, and write whatever we could get our hands on. Yeah. So, so then, but you know, we is, built that. Go ahead. I think there is a lot of advice and I don't think this is necessarily bad advice, but I feel like a lot of reps want you to, you know, develop as many relationships as possible and like have as big of a network as you can. And I'm sure for some people that's like great, very rewarding. But I feel like for us, we, when we really connect with someone and trust them, you like, you really have to hang on to those people. And just like, you know, Chris and my creative relationship, I feel like they only, they get better and stronger the longer you work on them because there's there is just so much you can cut through of of ego and like bullshit yeah yeah and I, producers I, are looking for for those relationships so yeah. it it it's something to keep in mind yeah and i think i think producers are um, I mean, everyone on our on our team, our agents and our managers and our lawyer have all like at one time or another been really essential to our growth. I do think something we've learned is that producers are in terms of getting your material into the right rooms, producers and having relationships with producers are equally as important because they really have the like your agent can make the phone call to, to get you a meeting somewhere. But the producer is going to be the one who comes in the room with you and goes, hey, I want to make this show. These are the writers, uh, you know, and, and actually has those pitch meetings with you and tees you up and becomes the real kind of day to day creative partner on that project. So, you know, agents and managers are an important first step. But I think something we got very lucky that we found a really great relationship with a producer on our like first meeting ever which in hindsight is yeah. insanely lucky but I mean, 
technically we, we, we had pitched, we had pitched this project to like maybe 15 other producers before we found Jess. Like it wasn't, but, but yeah, like in the grand scheme of things, she was one of yeah, our, it was, it was, it was right off. Like we, I, I, I guess I'm just saying we met that producer before we even knew that meeting before a we were in the WGA or yeah. Like before we had a job, like yeah. we were, you know, we were still working. We still were working like our old day jobs, but yeah. So yeah. producers are really the ones who can help get you in those rooms and really back when you don't have uh, a, a bunch of credits to your name, having a producer who can serve as that person who says this writing is good. This team is good. The vision is good. You know, is is super important. Yeah. I think you say there's luck, but I think there's also some obvious element of your own dynamic, especially as a team that has found a way to work egoless that a producer sees something that's easy to work with. People want people who are easy to work with that have vision but are willing to adjust. You know, I think there's something there. So it's fortuitous, but it's also, you know, a, a representative of your own um, skill and your own abilities. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, yeah, we, we, I would say we're collaborative and egoless. We always want to make sure that any sort of note or directional push on a project is serving the story. Like, I think our egos are happy to take a step back. I think we always battle hard for story. And I think that's something too, that is, has been a a fine line to walk where like learning when and where and how to put your foot down about what's important is both something that allows you to be collaborative, but then also when you push back at the right times, I think other producers and networks and whatnot, like, I think they do respect knowing that you have core principles about a story that like uh, you are going to put your foot down and push back on, you know, in in a polite way and in a friendly way, but that you can show like, you know, no, these are the things that are important and, and they need you in that position. They need somebody who has that guiding light and they're going to push for budget or they're going to push for a star. Or they're going to push however far they can to get, the things that are important to them. But I think it's it's really good to remember that you have to be the one who's going to push back for the story because sometimes uh, other entities won't be thinking about that. I love that. That's a, that's a great note to end on. I really appreciate you guys uh, coming on to talk about this and uh, wish you all the success in the future and with Aviary. Fantastic, yeah, thank George. You. Thanks. This is, this is great. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Chris and Jennifer, for coming on the podcast. Yeah, I mean, this is just one of those fun things. It it happens that people get exposed to other talent that they may have an opportunity to work with. Could be via podcast. Could be on something like our website, nofilmschool.com. You never know. Could be another website or another podcast. But as long as you stay connected to what people are doing, listening, keep your ears open for tips ways to get through all the noise, past the gatekeepers, into the hands of the people who want to say yes and find out why they want to say yes and what they want to do or how they did it. You just never know when something will strike and you'll have it in the back of your mind and it will be like that tool you need in your toolkit just at the right time. So I encourage everyone to continue to seek out those opportunities and hey, why not do it with No Film School? Follow us on the web at our website. Follow us on Twitter. 
Our Twitter account's at No Film School. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and all that good stuff. And hey, be sure to check out the Malin Ackerman interview from a while ago. That was a fun one too. And be sure to check out The Aviary. You can find it on streaming platforms everywhere, including Amazon Prime. Thanks so much for listening.